Hey, DTC pod, it's time to let your customers enjoy the products they love without the friction of reordering. That's why the world's most innovative brands like Pete's Coffee and Il Maquillage rely on order group subscriptions to build long lasting customer relationships and recurring revenue. Easy to manage and seamless for shoppers, Order Groove comes with the tools your business needs to become the next big subscription success story. Visit ordergroove.com slash DTCpod today to receive two months off your first contract. Again, that's ordergroove.com slash DTCpod. Also, are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. And then that also developed into, well, hey, these creators are editing their own YouTube channels. They have tools like Canva and Adobe Lightroom in their pocket. So, you know, this could democratize beta creative for SMBs and make it scalable for enterprises. Why don't we just make this like kind of the future Fiverr where anyone can provide creative services for brands. And so, so far, you know, we have over a thousand paying brands using it. So anywhere from SMBs to customers like Amazon, and now we just raised our seed from Pharrell, Flybridge, co-founder of Twitch, Kabam. So, you know, it took us three years to raise our seed. So it was a long grind trying to figure out our angle, but that's kind of the scope and the vision. So that's awesome. Yeah. Do the creators like promote the content at all or do they mostly, sorry, like promote the products at all or do they, they mostly can, create the content? Yeah. You can have them promote it, yeah. but in reality, we're like, we're just stripping that away and moving more and more and more towards content. So we realized, you know, brands kept telling us, hey, the influencer stuff is cool, but like I'm getting way more value out of the content and I prefer to own it, control spend behind it, you know, and so that developed into like, well, why don't we make this so if you want your brand present on TikTok, you can find a spokesperson on trend and manage the entire workflow. Or if you want product photography, you know, we want to teach anyone through our badges, certifications, courses on how you can do product photography from your house and sort of become the largest creative studio out there all through our marketplace self-serve. So last year we produced over 100,000 pieces of content and we're not involved at all. So it's all fully automated and, and we try to automate the workflow for the brand because right now, if you use a platform like Fiverr or Upwork, all you really have is a messaging feature as a workflow management. And you know, when you order an Uber, you don't have to, you don't tell the Uber which route to take. You don't negotiate with the Uber driver. And that's how creative services work today when like in reality, it should just be automated. So that's kind of like the long-term play vision. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. It's like it's very scalable, which is nice. Yeah. So, you know, the biggest challenge for us initially was influencer was like, I started out in the influencer space, but it was kind of a nightmare business to run. Like you're responsible for attribution. There's really no like super legit way of like verifying audiences, whether they're real or not short, you can scrape a ton of information and build your own algorithms. But at the end of the day, it's probably going to be off. And there's so many people doing it too. Like, yeah. There's so many people doing it. And to me, it's so surprising that like, there's no place out there for you to get Like if I have a, a product that, you know, I need it shot by a pool and I need the content in two weeks because I'm going to launch a product and I want to test all this creative. Like, where can I go and say, I want content in 20 pools, send the product to those houses, those people and get that content back right away. Cause creative studios can't do that. Yeah. So there's just no and handling, handling the whole pass off. Right. The and also like if you just sit around and wait for UGC that this is the perfect UGC for you to exactly. run. Exactly. Yeah. It takes forever and you can't, you, with UGC, you can't control the result, the outcome. You know, you, you can't be the creative director of your own UGC. So there's a company called Suna. I don't know if you've heard of them. They do like e-commerce photography. So they're doing it the right way. But again, they're a studio in four walls. And that misses the element of like, there's people out there that represent your brand better than you do. So well, it's not scalable either. Yeah. So we just invest everything into the product. We just need more engineers right now to move faster. But that's how I met Blaine. And then Blaine is yeah, um, so he's I, just I'm also built. So, so the way we connected on this is like, I'm building a, a company in the e-commerce e space as well, not a, like a software company for e-commerce brands. And then, so we spend all day talking to operators, CX retention, like that component of the business. And so I was like, okay, Ramon, you're doing this podcast, the D2C pod. I was like, this is perfect. Cause 
I'll come in and we can talk stuff from like the operational side of these businesses because that's what like we spend all day doing is talking to operators, CX, and retention. And then you can talk performance, content, et cetera. So it ended up being a pretty good fit. That's very cool. Yeah. So Blame was previous operational CX setup, his previous startup. Yeah, so I started this company before we started Omnipanel called Seated. They're more in like New York, but it was basically a marketplace for, not a marketplace, but it was a restaurant booking app. And we'd partner with restaurants and big consumer brands. So when you book a reservation, you get like credit to the store and you could go redeem it for like Amazon or Starbucks codes or like Uber, Barry, SoulCycle, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they're like series B, I think they're raising a C right now, but like I'd been there from the beginning and I, I wanted to do something new. And then totally. I guess we found ourselves like moving closer and we started off saying like, oh, we want to build a universal like admin sort of tool, CX focused tool for these brands, for these people who are thinking about CX and retention. And then obviously because of the tech stack and the Shopify ecosystem, it like quickly became where our focus was. So now we're kind of like a knowledge base for e-commerce. So like those operators who need to pull lists across like, you know, people who ordered this SKU on this date and also file a support ticket with us or like doing all these different actions across their different systems. Any person in those brands can pull those lists of customers, orders, whatever, based on whatever attribute they're sort of looking for. So we have a bunch of brands that work with us on this side. And I was like, oh, this is a cool way to talk to, I guess, more people in the e-commerce landscape. And then obviously the listeners are a lot of the operators of these brands because they're looking for tools to do it. So what I think is, will be cool with your lens is like, talking to e-commerce operators or, and like people who are listening to the pod who are like either store owners or like that sort of stuff. So like really introducing open store to like what you guys are, what option you're giving them and also like being a voice of reason to them for like thinking through these different things. Cause I'm sure you guys see a ton of really great information coming in from like great brands at various stages of the journey. So, you know, I think that'll be really helpful to so Matt, you are the co-founder of OpenStore. Is that right? So what exactly is, is OpenStore? Sure. So we provide liquidity to like Shopify entrepreneurs to provide them with an exit and um, the ability to sell their business when they're ready to. A lot of these entrepreneurs don't really have other options to sell their business. They're too small for like private equity. They don't necessarily have the characteristics that venture capitalists are looking for. There are like brokers and marketplaces they could go with, but similar to all other marketplaces, like even selling your house, there's no guarantee you'll be able to find a buyer. And you can spend a lot of time talking to um, potential buyers and waste time. So we want to make it really simple for these Shopify entrepreneurs just to uh, come to our website, connect their Shopify account, their like, Facebook and Google marketing data, they have it, and get an offer within a day to sell their business if they're ready to. And so it's vertically focused on Shopify specifically? Yeah, for now we're focused on Shopify. I mean, over time could soon explore other platforms, but for now we're focused on Shopify, which is where a lot of the e-commerce merchants use. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, pretty much everyone we bring on the podcast is involved some way, shape or form with different Shopify operations. So definitely plenty of those out there. Um, what was the inspiration for you guys to start this and start jumping into this problem? Like, obviously, I think you mentioned there are no good ways for these brands to get liquidity if they want to get out, but like what prompted you guys, what, what's a little bit about your background and what prompted you to jump into tackling this problem? Sure, so I've always been involved in like engineering and product. I was early on the team at uh, Open Door where I worked on some of the consumer side of things like the buyer side. And briefly Open Door makes it easy to, to buy or more sell a house, but um, buy or sell a house. So there's a lot of similarities with open store of like making it very simple to sell your e-commerce business when you're ready. Yep. Part of the way, um, which is why the idea like just instantly resonated with me. The idea actually came from Jack, one of their co-founders. He's a partner and founder of Atomic, which is a venture studio that incubates and creates a bunch of companies such as Hims and Hers in the e-commerce space. Uh, and he was basically chatting with an entrepreneur and he was mentoring a group of entrepreneurs. And one of them asked, they said, like, how do I sell my business? And he like, was chatting with her and his, it was a great business, like high, um, high GMV, very high like margin, high repeat purchase rate, AOV. But she like, couldn't find a buyer. Yep. And basically what he realized is like, she was too small for the private equity and didn't like fit the traditional VC model and didn't really have any opportunity to sell her business. And then on the e-commerce side of things, like e-commerce is just exploding. Like it's supposed to be like overtake physical retail in the next few years. Obviously COVID pulled it forward. So both those trends like made it really exciting. And when I heard the idea from Jack, it just like instantly resonated given 
the open door background of kind of like making it easier to sell, whether it's your house, in this case, a business, like there's a lot of value in just providing simplicity to like the entrepreneurs in this case. No, hundred percent. And one question that I'd have is, so you mentioned that like typically businesses, if they're in an exit scenario, right? Like they may have the option for like a bigger PE firm, but like what stage does PE become a play and where is that white space you're alluding to? Like, how, like in terms of revenue, what thresholds do they meet, need to meet before that really gets something that's excited where P is like, okay, we'll come in, we'll buy out the whole thing and you're out of here. Yeah. Or they could stay, who knows? Yeah, or they could stay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's a whole other point. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, private equity tends to be more like 50 million plus in GMV, so it tends to be on the larger side. Whereas for us, kind of our target size of business is between 500K and 10 million. Part of that is private equity firms are, tend to be very uh, human-based and use a lot of humans to kind of value these businesses and go through that process. Whereas we've built this pricing engine that's able to, within 24 hours, deliver an offer for your business. So we're able to like, serve a much wider swath of businesses and really kind of serve as many people as we can. I think you, tell, you kind of relearned this a little bit, but with private equity also, it's usually like a multi-year payout and there's like earnouts over time and like all these percentages and it's like a fairly complicated thing. We want to make it very simple. You come to us, you get your offer, it's a very clear price. You actually get 80% of it on the day you close. And then there's a short like one to two month transition period where you help us like learn about your business and then you get the remaining 20% at the end of that. And then you're off, you can do whatever you want. There's no like nothing tying you down. That's especially valuable for the small businesses and e-commerce, you know, rather than say a company that's larger getting bought by private equity that can afford the legal advice and help while going through the process. I do find an interesting component that's different from like, open door to open stores like well open door you know you also sell the homes right here well like you're not selling the business forward you hold it you keep it is that the intention is it intention to sell it again in the future is it the intention to hold the team like what's the flexibility for you know the, the founder that raised it is it up to them to to remain a part of it or, or cash out if you will yeah, great point. It's very different. Um, so we do hold these businesses indefinitely. Like the goal is to hold them and run them indefinitely. No plans to sell them, which is why we've invested like heavily in kind of the operating side of things. Um, we're building like, an operating platform that lets us run and operate these businesses at scale. In terms of like, kind of the founders, we want to make it as simple as possible. So after this like one to two month transition period, the founders are free to move on to like whatever types of things they, they want to work on. And then uh, we run the business from there on out and kind of shepherd it and grow it. One thing that's kind of interesting and surprising is a lot of these act entrepreneurs actually want to start a new business that come to us, um, which kind of makes sense. Like a lot of people really enjoy the zero to one type of thing side of things, like they're creating a new brand, a new business, but maybe don't enjoy all of the work that comes with a larger business. Sometimes they'll sell to us and then like go create another idea that they're interested in. And then sell another one forward. Yeah, hopefully yeah, sell another one right back. I, yeah. I, I'm, I love the fact that the technology that you pointed out is on the operations of the business itself. Because when I look at open store, I think, oh, they're just gonna, you know, create better and better technology to better assess pricing and move forward when it comes to the acquisition. It never crossed my mind that it would be to also try to automate the operations side of the business. I feel like that's something very different than other companies that are also, you know, either focusing on acquiring Shopify apps or Amazon FBA stores. Is that kind of, you know, the vision too behind making this as, as scalable as possible, I assume? Yeah, exactly. You kind of hit on two of the points, like both on the pricing and the operation side. On the operation side, it's just as anyone running an e-commerce brand knows there's like just a lot of components to it from like marketing to supply chain to like your 3PL, 3PL or your warehouse and fulfillment. And so there's a lot of opportunity for us to uh, kind of build out a platform to, to improve and run the various parts of the, of the business. And then on the pricing side, we want to like continue to improve in the pricing engine so that we can give people more accurate valuations of the business and higher offers. So right now it's very simple. You just like connect your Shopify account, use the Facebook and Google ads data to understand the marketing spend. But you can imagine there could be other data sources over time we can incorporate for like more accurate offers as well. That's really cool. And I think just having a landscape of who those potential buyers or who the potential sellers are to you guys, where you guys come in, I think there's a ton of value. Like you're saying, 
these entrepreneurs, like they may want to get back in the saddle and start something new again. And from even a lot of the brands that we're talking to in the e-commerce space, like once you pass that 10 million annual sort of revenue mark, like things really change. Like it really becomes about like scaling things up and it's difficult. It's like, there's a lot of brands that are able to get to that first part, but then they're looking at things and they're like, oh man, it's going to be a slog to like get to that next level, if you will. So I think being able to come in and say, hey, we're a solution for you guys. And there's more and more in the Shopify explosion, there's more and more of these brands that are falling into that category of that, you know, they've cross the 500K threshold, they're somewhere under 10 million. And if you guys can come in, I think there's a tremendous value for both parties, right? You guys, you've got the brand, they've already established a product and audience, et cetera. And you guys have the tools to help them get to the next stage and you can kind of give them the freedom. And for them, they don't have to go conquer that beast themselves, right? So I think that's really awesome. And then the next question I'd have would be, there are obviously a lot of similarities between open door and open store and your specific role. So when you were working at open door, I know you mentioned um, work on the product, the consumer side of product, and now you're head of product at open store. So what does being co-founder and head of open store look like? What are the challenges that are kind of on your mind and where's your time focus as you think about product? One of the things I noticed is kind of the similarity around valuing people's times and, and the value of simplicity. So, for example, with Open Door, we can get an offer for your house in very minutes, hours, very quickly, versus having to like find a realtor and list it, and then it's like a few months, and like maybe no one even buys it, and it's just kind of a very um, unenjoyable process. With Open Door, uh, you can just come to go to the website and like uh, enter your address, and it's like very simple. Mm-hmm. So I realized like the value created by that, and so similar with Open Store, I get them confused too. We provide a lot of simplicity. Like it literally takes five minutes for the entrepreneur to come to our website and share the relevant data. Because I know a lot of entrepreneurs are like super busy during the day um, trying to grow their business and don't have time to spend like weeks or months talking to potential buyers who then like back out and like it's not a um, great experience. So one kind of like really viewed how important simplicity was. And then two, just like really focused on kind of like building a company and growing the team so that we can continue to support all the brands and entrepreneurs coming to us. So for the brand, right? Like if I'm a brand and I'm a sell, so I come to you guys, you know, give you basically Shopify login or credentials or whatever, some marketing data and that sort of thing. And I'm able to get an offer. But then from there, what is the process like in terms of the, have you guys purchased any brands thus far? Have you, have you guys already done that? So yeah, have, yeah, we have dozens of brands now, um, which is really exciting. Yeah. Our first brand actually was this company called Farm Foods, um, which sells like responsibly raised meat online. So a wide variety of brands, like anything from like frozen meat to obviously apparel is very common um, in the e-commerce space to anything imaginable jewelry as well. But like we really don't discriminate based on the criteria. Like we want to serve as many people as possible. From a product perspective, I mean, how do you look at the supply chain side of things, right? Like, you know, you can make the offer but there is that risk of the entrepreneur not having the right set of supply chain, you know, set up. Uh, the entrepreneur being at a point where, you know, their current 3PL cannot grow with them. Are those things you guys look at or, you know, sort of that's a bet that you're taking because you guys are using your own supply chain in the back end? How do, how do you look at that? Yeah, that's a great question. So one thing the pricing engine looks at is like obviously kind of the historical data um, and understanding kind of the, the margin, the average order size, things like that. One thing though we do want to recognize is that like potentially our, the cost structure under um, us running it versus the individual entrepreneur might be different. So we do in like that supply chain example, like give them some credit for potentially um, like in this example, like a higher um, margin on the products if we're running it. Okay, that makes sense. In that same light, right? So for these brands like that you guys have actually purchased, right? What was the process like for them after they handed it off to you? Like you said, you have one, which is like maybe a CPG or a food brand. You have a couple apparel, jewelry, like physically for them, was it a question of they sell the brand to you and they're like totally out? I know you mentioned a little transition phase, like what's going on with the team there. So just tell me a little bit more about that transitionary period. And then on your guys' end, like, you know, who are you guys? plugging in to keep things moving so it doesn't feel at least to the brand and the customers that anything's 
changed in the background, right? Yeah, definitely. So after they like receive the offer within a day, you can close in as fast as a week. Very like optimized diligence process. So then once you close, you get uh, 80% of the cash around then. And then it's a one to two month transition period. So the founder um, kind of works with our team for us to understand like how they run their business, transition everything over to us, like um, domains, all the various parts of the business. And then we run it from there. To that point, we've kind of created, as we build out this operating platform, we've kind of created a set of like open store best practices. So um, various tools, like internal and external that we use to help run these businesses at scale. And like analytics is like a very important thing as well. So we've invested in that and like moving those brands to our way of kind of running and growing them. But one thing is like, we do really want to like maintain the brands and like grow the brands. So we don't want like, to take a company and then just get rid of the brand. Like we really want to keep the brand and like grow the brand um, and kind of highlight what the entrepreneur has built. Are you interested in DTC and e-commerce content? Join Trend's exclusive community for everything DTC, the DTCers community. We're talking marketing, product, growth, and more all about DTC. Go to trend.io slash podcast. That's T-R-E-N-D io slash podcast and look for the Slack community link to claim your invite. We hope to see you on there. I guess my other question there would be like, so for these brands, right? A lot of them have, you know, some are run pretty lean with, you know, maybe five, 10, 15 employees. Others are like a whole sort of operation with like 30, 40 people. So what's happening to those people? Are they, are some of them coming on with you and transitioning to the team that runs it under the new open store umbrella or, or is the whole team leaving and you guys have like, you know, your people to kind of put in there. Cause I know you said most of the times the founders are free to go and do their own thing after. So what about the rest of the team? We want to make it as simple as possible. So similar to how kind of the founder is free to move on to whatever they want. Same with the team members, kind of um, whatever the founder decides there. But in a lot of cases, like I mentioned, these founders are uh, excited to like, start a new idea. So yeah. potentially they want to work with the same team. So that's uh, sweet. Yeah. So you basically, a lot, because a lot of times, like if you, if someone's buying the business, right? They're also buying the different parts in the business. But like, I think that's an awesome point for founders too. It's like, hey, you, if you want to go attack a new problem, you've got your whole squad with you to run it back. And then basically what you're saying is they've got like, you've got this transitionary period with them where you're working closely with them. You're identifying the roles of who's doing what on the team and you're figuring out how open store is able to absorb those responsibilities. So by the time the transition takes place, whole team's free to go and it's just, you know, being run under, under your guys's umbrella, right? Yeah. And over time we want to just continue to improve that process. Currently, like I said, it's like one to two months, but want to get that to like two to four weeks and then two weeks and just keep improving and making it so it's as fast and easy as possible for the founder. Sweet. And then I guess piggybacking off that, it's like when you're going through a transition, right? Like let's talk from a technical side. Are you guys building your own full suite of in-house tools to like rival a, you know, a Shopify or say, so you're like basically have your own operating system for all these brands. Or are you keeping them on Shopify and keeping on them on some of the services that they're using? Like, how do, how do you guys think about that sort of stuff? There's a, like, I mean, great ecosystem with Shopify and all the other tools and plugins. So very much leaning heavily on those and then kind of um, augmenting them with some of our unique areas where we can. But yeah, so definitely I like, keeping them on Shopify and want to grow them on Shopify just because it's such a great ecosystem, like yeah. I mentioned. It's actually funny. I have a, I have a buddy who was a big Shopify brand and, and then he transitioned because he wanted to do some other stuff and they transitioned off Shopify. And then he comes and he was like asking me about different opportunities for liquidity. And I was like, oh, have you heard of Open Store? And he's like, ah, oh, shit, I just... <laughs> <laughs> um, Run it back. So for, for anyone funny. listening who, who's getting any crazy ideas, stay on Shopify. It'll make your life easier uh, and give you some more flexibility. So yeah, so how is that different? You know, I assume when you guys were running into the space, you know, there's sort of players that are doing it also, you know, of the Amazon FBA space. So why the Shopify? Shopify's ecosystem over, say, you know, an Amazon FBA space where, you know, maybe the sellers are, are more used to it or have that intent, don't require maybe as much of an education curve. Like, why the Shopify ecosystem over other? Well, in some ways, harder problems are more fun than the easier problems Amazon. But yeah, a lot of it is actually around the brand. Like, we really like that these Shopify e-commerce brands have, like, a really strong brand. Um, whereas the ones on Amazon tend to don't need to focus as much on the brand because um, they're on Amazon and Amazon helps them with customer acquisition. 
and so we focus on Shopify stores because we believe in kind of a strong brand and a strong um, kind of building around these these brands. Uh, for example, like you look at Nike, which is obviously a very well-known brand, and they like aren't on Amazon because they can't control their brand experience. And re we really want to control the full stack of things. And kind of what we touched on earlier too, like when you're running these businesses, there's like marketing, supply chain, demand, planning, forecasting, all those complex things, which like when you run them on Shopify, there's like a lot of room for us to really grow and build out a great platform there. Whereas Amazon like kind of takes care of a lot of those things for you. So it's like less exciting work for us to, to build. Yeah, plus the Shopify seller has he has more assets than just a product. Like they, they could have a social following that, that comes with the business that they've already established. You know, now we're seeing a lot of Shopify brands being built on top of TikTok audiences alone. Um, whereas on Amazon, you don't really have the leverage of, of doing that or owning the data per se of the customer. And I, I think it's cool that you're able to give them like certainty. It's like when you're selling the brand, right? If you spend all this time like creating something, you created a brand, and you want to be able to entrust that with someone who's going to like continue that legacy of what you've built and only make it better and better and better, right? Like it, it would be a shame to like, you know, people have put a bunch of work into building a brand and then have it just be like, oh yeah, that's just another, you know, random product on, on Amazon. So I think being able to keep brand integrity in mind and have that be something that you guys, that makes sense for you guys, but as well as you're going to continue to grow those things out, I think that's, that's a really good way to, to be thinking about things. Yeah, like I mean, that we just really value the, the strong brands that all shop by. There's so there's so many like there's there's so many reasons why. As I think about it, like you're buying a more loyal customer um, base as well. You know, the brand has passion from the founder, and then the customers, you know, get sold on that brand too. So you're probably liking you, you probably, you're much more likely buying a customer too who's going to retain for a lot longer than a traditional customer on Amazon. Yeah, you have much more relationship with the customer. Um, there's a little less risk as well. Like to your point with Amazon, that they change the way their search algorithm works, that could drastically affect your sales. Similar to how like, like 10 years ago when Google changed their search algorithm, um, it affected a lot of like startups and other, other ones. Yeah, the reason I say that is because people that are listening or you know, people that wanna dive into entrepreneurship or starting their own brand, I'm sure it's an assessment they go through. You know, like, should I focus all in on Amazon? Should I focus all in on Shopify? And I bet that some people may, and I wonder if some people have, have decided to go to start with Amazon for liquidity purposes, you know, with, with other players that are there buying companies. So now, you know, I feel like this open store is a big reason for more people to feel safe about having an exit plan in the future um, and go that route for that reason. That's actually one of the things like I'm very excited about and the company is very excited about the open store is like, uh, encouraging more entrepreneurship because like part of the reason people may be hesitant to start a brand right now if, even if they have like a really cool idea is that they could pour like years of their life into this um, and a lot of hard work and then there's like no certain exit after that like after five years let's say maybe they want to do something else and they don't want to sign up like I'm going to work on this brand for the next like 80 years or a long time but now that we like, provide exit, hopefully like, more people will create brands. Like generally, I think entrepreneurship is just great for like society and great for um, the individuals as well. I'm bullish on that. I would love to see that change in, in the ecosystem because I have friends that run, you know, $50 million plus, $60 million plus um, e-commerce companies. And I have fantasized, I mean, after talking with so many e-commerce founders, I always fantasize of like a warehouse full of product, a software. I don't, I don't see anything. I don't see the product. And I always talk about that with them and they always flip it back to me and they're like, no, nah, dude, like I've been running this for five plus years and I don't see a way out. I wish I was in software. So it just seems like it's in, you know, words, word in town spread. And so people might restrain themselves starting e-commerce brands just, just for that reason. And the, the other thing that you sort of mentioned about like the sweet spot that you're in for a lot of these people, it's like these people have they have experience creating brand, which is like one of the most valuable things. And maybe that first brand that they launched wasn't where they want to dedicate maybe the next five, 10 years of their life, right? Because what's really valuable for people in is being able to create a brand, a touch, you know, e-commerce and what you're seeing in Shopify, that's generally a product that's an expression of the brand. And that's why people are buying. They're buying a product that's an expression of that brand. So once they have the skill of, they know how to create a brand from scratch, build it up to where your level is, there's a lot of times I'm sure where they're like, kind of what you were saying, Ramon, is like, 
okay, I, I've done that, I've created that product line, you know, I don't wanna be doing jewelry for the next however many years, I wanna take all these skills I've learned about creating community, creating brand, and creating products and apply that to something else. And I think that's a really cool option because otherwise your hands are tied. What are you gonna do? You're like making money, your business is growing, you almost have these like golden handcuffs where you're, you're physically tied into the business because you don't have any options otherwise, right? If you don't, if, if you don't have an option like OpenStore and you're at that level, like what are you gonna do? Just shut down your website and say, bye-bye everyone. Like that's not a real option, right? You're realistically gonna stay committed to what you're doing. So just in terms of the flexibility that gives for some of these people who are really brand building experts, I think it's it's awesome. I think from also from like, a, for, for e-commerce founders that might be getting advice from mentors or something that might wanna be out after the first year, say they got to a million dollars in revenue, they might wanna be out. I wonder, you know, if it's, you know, could have been potentially frowned upon, um, you know, hey, you're, you're trying to get out on something so quick because, you know, compared to the traditional, you know, VC route, you're, you're going in this for the long run. And, and so I compare it to the creator economy where, you know, now you're seeing as remote expands, like now you're seeing some companies hiring people that are working, a lot of people that work half time. And so that could be like the new entrepreneur. It's, it's no longer just necessarily about you know, you better go on that for five, 10 years. Like it's more socially, could be socially acceptable. No, I'm gonna do this for a year and, and, and there's a, a route for this, not necessarily frowned upon. Yeah, well, I think like a lot of people just enjoy the zero to one type of work and aren't, don't wanna do the, the scaling work. Just like you see at startups or other companies, like um, the types of people who enjoy working at a startup versus like a larger tech company tend to be different as well. And we have found actually, like kind of to your point about shutting down the business, some of the early companies we acquired when we actually met with the founders, like kind of right when we were starting, some of them were actually like kind of in the process of already even shutting down their business. Then they like found out about us thankfully at like the last minute. <laughs> we were very excited and, and, and happy. Um, but it is kind of crazy to think about you like pour all like your time and effort in this business just to like shut it down. I guess some parallels for me. So the first business I started was this platform seated, we're a restaurant booking app. And there were times where in the beginning where it was like difficult and, but we wanted to keep going as a business, but like to keep going as a business, we had all these customers to serve and these reservations were coming through. We're dealing with all this stuff and you're looking at it, you're like, oh, this is great, but I can't just stop. And like, you're literally, there's certain points where you're dealing with like the most stress you could ever imagine in your life, but you don't have an, like failure is not an option because every new order that comes in for an e-commerce brand or every new reservation that was coming in for us, that's like, a successful thing like that's a good thing you like should be wanting to deal with that but at a certain point like you're saying you might you know you just might be like okay i want to want to build something else i want freedom right like yeah. for those people and, and i think that's a really cool option my next question would be now you've had the privilege of i guess seeing and getting behind the wheel at a ton of these different brands that come come across your guys's desk what are some of the characteristics that you see for these brands that are doing the best in e-commerce that, what are some of the characteristics that you like that's really attractive to you in a business, as well as what are some of the characteristics of these businesses that you see that generally tend to be doing well, like once you peel back the facade and get behind the wheel? A few parts to that. I think to start out with, obviously just building a product that customers love is kind of the main thing. And it can, a lot of it can be like kind of niche products, um, which is like what's really cool about this whole e-commerce space is that you're actually creating products for much more wide swath of people. Like I've recently gotten into kind of some keto food. So there's like these really, all these great keto crackers and desserts yeah. and everything with no or low sugar. So you can like even target a niche and like really um, delight customers within that. I mean, in terms of the company overall, again, like, like how I mentioned, we want to serve as many entrepreneurs as possible. So we're not particular with kind of what they sell or even the characteristics of the business. Like it could be like a higher margin and lower margin, like different um, repeat purchase rates, average order sizes. Um, but in terms of like things to obviously like improve your business and grow them, I'm sure it's a lot of things people have heard and kind of standard things, but obviously like improving um, the margin of your products helps like decreasing kind of your fixed costs on the customer acquisition side, um, kind of lowering your cost of customer acquisition, which kind of ties to building a product that, that delights customers, yeah. that will like lower your costs naturally. So I assume, you know, with economies of scale, like is that something that you guys are, are betting on, you know, being able to lower and lower and lower the cost of goods, as especially, you know, say for some reason, it happens to be that your biggest growing sector is jewelry and, and, and you acquire 100 businesses in jewelry. Next thing you know, you know, you've got one of the best 
operational systems for jewelry? Like, is that kind of the goal there? Yeah, I think that will naturally happen. I mean, one like very basic example is like shipping. Obviously, we can get better rates with like FedEx or UPS if we are shipping just a lot more volume. So there's like some scale there. And then um, certainly as we like build out categories, we can um, work with kind of partners in the space. So like jewelry or within clothing, obviously manufacturers there. So definitely things we're thinking about. Um, and like as we roll out those improvements, we want to like kind of reflect that in like the valuation of the business and give credit to people for that. Uh, but still uh, early in the days on some of that work. Yeah, it's super early. And why don't you tell us a little bit about the rest of the team you're working with? So how many of you guys, you know, got were involved in the early days in, in starting this off? Who are the key players? And, you know, what are, what are you guys responsible for? Yeah, so there's five founders of us in total. Um, obviously, we had a really complex business, so we wanted to start with a really uh, great team. So myself, um, who's I'm the head of product, and then, like I mentioned, Jack Abraham from Atomic kind of came up with the idea and has been help, helping guys along, as well as um, Keith Ruboy, who is a partner at Founders Fund, another venture firm, was like an, an executive at Square and LinkedIn. He's currently our CEO, so helping um, making sure that uh, we're making all, building a great company and like making the right decisions. And we have Jeremy, our head of engineering, and Michael, our, our president, um, who's been president at other great startups helping us build and scale the company. And as we built out the team, we focused a lot on um, kind of a engineering product design so that we can really run these brands at scale. So both the pricing engine, being able to build a great pricing engine with data science um, to quickly deliver evaluation to businesses, as well as building out the operations platform to help run these businesses at scale. So what part of the team is in Miami? The and whole not, team. The whole team is here. Nice. So yeah, one thing is... Uh, Where are you recruiting these people from? Because I am searching everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we're like over 40 people now. Uh, I have plans to grow to over 100 by the end of the year or more. But yeah, I mean, it's a combination of a lot of like local people who are in Miami or Florida or people who grew up here and excited to be back. Um, also, obviously, some people moving from like San Francisco and um, New York. I think everyone's really excited about Miami. I think in some ways there's actually similarities between um, startups and companies and like cities. So like early in a startup, obviously, people are very excited about what you're building. Like you're focusing on kind of like 10x um, opportunities to grow the business and really like optimistic about the future. And then once a company like builds something valuable, then companies naturally switch a little more into like um, value preservation or protection because they built something valuable. And I think cities are the same way. So like San Francisco or New York obviously have been great tech scenes and are great tech scenes, but they're a little bit more in this like value preservation mode um, rather than being excited about like building new things. And so what we all love about Miami is it's just everyone here is like super excited about like building, solving like really hard problems. So that's like great both from a work and just a lifestyle standpoint. No, I mean, I think the, the critique of Miami that you always hear, it's like, oh, it's really hard to find like talent or it's hard to get people here. But every time I'm looking around, I'm seeing a ton of people and a ton of people, whether they're coming for the, the hack week. I mean, you guys are already like 40 people looking to grow. Like, has it been a massive challenge? Has it been as hard as everyone would think like acquiring that kind of talent in a new city or has it been like, how have you found that? To your point, people have a lot of perceptions of Miami, which sometimes people don't think it'd be a place they'd want to work. So a lot of it is the key is getting people out here and like just checking it out for a few days. Um, and then when people visit, they fall in love. So recently, a few weeks ago, we organized this Hereticon engineering conference as kind of an engineering track of another conference called Hereticon and had like 30 engineers from across the country come out here and a lot of like, a lot of them just fell in love with the city, like as messaging one of them, and he said he, he's like, he's gonna move out here. So I'm starting to look at, look at it. So you just have to get people out here and then the city kind of solves itself. I have right now during Hack Week, I, I have the team down here and three of them, two from New York and one from Chicago. <laughs> like they, it, was, it was like freezing temperatures in Chicago. They're here. One was like, you know, working by the pool and he tells me I'm gonna move as soon as my lease is up. And it took, I'm not having to pitch Miami, just get them down here, right? Because I went to college in, in Florida and Tampa and like I would, my sister lives here and I would visit every now and then. And even now, you know, right before here, I was living in Denver for a bit. And you just have this sort of image of Miami almost that you're like, yeah, I'm 
can't build it. Like, I'm not going to work there. You know, that's all like, you know, getting drunk at South Beach or whatever. And then I came for Keith or Boys thing. And it's just like when you're just here, it's just, you just almost, you just almost feel it. I was going to say, I think everyone needs to give, you know, you, you and Keith a big thank you and your team for being down here because I think that's one of the, that was one of the, do- the key dominoes that really helped people come down here. Like, I remember when we were raising our seed round, our VC round for um, Omnipanel back in, I want to say, fall of 2020. I was taking calls uh, from building in Sunny Isles and I had like the bay in the background and I was like literally on these VC calls and they'd be like, where are you? And I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, I'm in Miami. And they'd be like, Miami, that's, <laughs> that's weird. And then uh, as soon as everyone started moving down here, I was like, okay, that's all the excuse I need. I was like, if he's doing it, like, then it's not a problem. That that's, I that's funny because right? my family is from Puerto Rico and I was visiting during Christmas like a year ago and I was taking venture uh, racing too and taking calls down there. And it was like all these punters over me. They're like, Puerto Rico? Like, what, what, are you serious about this or what? So, I just think it's so funny how, especially like you're saying, like New York, like great, cities for tech but like until that like notion has been like almost like totally smashed that like oh it's okay to like work in another place or create a new tech hub in miami like just because miami is a tech hub that doesn't take anything necessarily away from these other cities they should all be competitive like you're saying like like startups they should do their own thing and you know people can go where they want to go there's like a really strong tech community in in miami and i think part of it in some ways since it is small, it's like everyone's excited to meet other people in tech and like help each other out and really wants to like grow the, everyone wants to grow the tech community here. And what's been interesting for us too, it's like, I think there's also a great D2C community down here and e-commerce community. I mean, the fact that like we're building Omnipanel, we, we serve a ton of Shopify brands on the operational side of things. Ramon's doing, you know, trend and they're working on the content side of things with all these consumer brands. Then you guys are being able to roll them all up. It's like, clearly there's like ecosystem building down here, not just in tech, but like in a segment of tech, which is, and not just tech, but you have e-commerce companies that are launching down here and enablement for them, which is super cool. Uh, I was in Austin for three years and and there was a big CPG presence, but it wasn't e-commerce. It was more so CPG and there wasn't much outside of that on the tech side. And I think it's due to the fact that Whole Foods like was founded there. And so like they have distribution and so they had a good ecosystem to that. So seeing that difference here is major. But back to the point of, of what you were saying on the stigma of like moving to Miami to build the company, I feel like that really ties to the point that I was trying to dive earlier into, which was the one for selling your your e-commerce company after a year. If it's like million dollars or 500,000 or something, you know, just how these stigmas uh, change in the venture world, this also is in, in, you know, is changing and will continue to change on the exit around your circle of friends that, you know, I'm sure some people like, you know, a year ago or so before, you know, liquidity could be so accessible, you know, might hold longer to the company because there's social, you know, pressure of circle of friends. Like, you know, you shouldn't be selling, you know, this early or whatever. So I'm just pro seeing that change. Yeah, no, it's really exciting for just more people to create brands and like if you have a great idea, you can just do it now. Like actually, that's one of the things I'm really excited about in the D2C space is just the existence of all these tools. So obviously Shopify is a huge one that's made it like very simple to create a store, but then all the various tools in the ecosystem that just help you grow it. And yeah, I think it's just a really cool space and excited to see a lot more brands. Mm-hmm. It's so cool because then it'll only continue to add more value to your companies. It gives entrance into the market who are looking to start up, like you're saying Shopify, right? Before Shopify, I always said like 1.0 of e-commerce, like call it before Shopify, like you needed to find coders, you needed to like figure out how to like stand up a storefront, like build all your operations. And like, then you didn't have any marketing tools to get new clients. Like it was a whole operation before, right? But Shopify makes it easy. Like people who just have, you know, digital distribution might say, hey, I want to start monetizing my brand and create a product that goes with my brand because I have a ton of followers on TikTok or Instagram or whatever. Okay, boom, I'm going to go to Shopify. And then, you know, next thing you know, you start, you buy some product, you're starting to sell some product. And then you're like, oh, you know what? Like I'm, people are reaching out to me via email. Oh, I should probably get a help desk. So you get a help desk. And, and they're like, oh, like customers want, want to be able to return products. Okay, boom, I got a solution for that. So it's like, now you're able to almost like stumble into it. If you want to like be an entrepreneur and the D2C space excites you, you can like take that dive and like jump right into it. And you're going to have all these solutions in place. Whereas like back in the day, it was like 
an MBA kid who is like, oh, you know, I'm going to solve <laughs> like this crazy problem uh, and I'm going to go direct to the consumer and raise a bunch of money to do this. But now like anyway, it's the, the bar to enter is really low. And then on the back end of that, like you guys are providing an amazing option again to make the exit from it and getting back onto the back onto the horse like even easier. So I think that's it's a super cool place. That's to, fascinating. To be. It's like the barrier to exit is yeah, lower but, but, but also the barrier to entry so you get this cycle where you just provide total flexibility that's fair yeah and then you get smaller you're able to have smaller and smaller stores like more specific niches kind of like i was trying about earlier whereas before you could only like afford to create a company if it was going to be this like massive business that like yeah was targeting like everyone on the in the world in the u.s or wherever is there a potential, like, how do you see acquiring multiple companies in a specific vertical? I mean, like, just curious on the marketing perspective. I mean, is there, a like, are you competing on keywords? Like, how does that work to grow those companies if you're in a specific space? Right, like, or is it just, you know, do you see it as like, well, no, there's brands behind that, you know, and brands attract a certain different demographic or, or type of customer, so that's not a concern. Yeah, it's a great question. Like I mentioned earlier, we don't like differentiate based on category, um, so really open to any type of brand, but it obviously reflects the broader ecosystem, so you have a lot of apparel stores, for example, or other jewelry. I mean, naturally, we're starting to see like multiple in the same space, like multiple in the apparel space. I don't th think, it's an interesting point of like they're competing with each other. I think ultimately it's like just such a massive space that like we're not really competing with sure. like it's just such a growing pie both the whole yeah. space as well as even within our like the open store ecosystem that it, it's going to be a while before we're competing. That, that's just my B2B SEO. Yeah, no, and, and I mean, I don't, I don't even think you need I know nothing about the consumers. So like, I, that, yeah. And also the timeline on it is so long, right? You're going to have certain brands that have like way more upside than anyone even anticipated because of like market trends that, you know, no one really saw. And like that's that might take care of other ones that tail off. So I think when you factor in it all, I think your approach is great. Like, let's just get started. Let's start acquiring these brands at the best value that we can give for them today. And then, you know, it's going to be a growing pie. Everything will move in the right direction for both us as well as like the entrepreneurs that we're, we're helping out on the, the other side of it. And I guess the last kind of question we'd have before we wrap up here, it's like, what's your day-to-day -day life looking like these? What have you been up to in Miami? What do you do for fun? What, what, do you, what kind of stuff are you into? Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that I love about Miami is just the outdoors. I just love being outside, the warm weather, just hanging out by the pool. I'm honestly not a, a huge water person, but I enjoy like kayaking and just getting outside, being active. I feel like that's one of the unique things here is you can like year round, you can can be active. And obviously just- uh, Except for like two days ago or something. Yeah, it was freezing actually. <laughs> it was cold, but, but and it's but cool. Still, like, you know, the yeah. other thing about like being outside that I love here is like, it's, everyone thinks like, Miami is a city by the water, but it's like almost a city around the water. So like we're we're here right now in like Miami Beach and it's almost like this big circle where, yeah. where cause like everyone's like kind of near the water on this side or on the beach side. And it's just like this almost big circle. So you're all the way around water and there's water everywhere you look. Like we have water there, we have water there. there. Right downtown, kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean like, I like, I've, go, I've gone kayaking a few times. There's literally like five places I can go kayaking within a 15 minute drive my house. <laughs> So it's great. I, I love doing that. And just great food in Miami as well. Yeah. Any any favorite spots? Um, there's a very good restaurant called Boya Day. Oh, Boya Day is, it's <laughs> really, really good. What, what type really of food good. is it? I did, I did doggies today, which you told me about. Oh, it's a Venezuelan arepas. Yeah. yeah. The whole team was like, what are, what are arepas? I'm like, don't you worry. I ordered a bunch of arepas. They're like, this is fire. Yeah. Doggies and Boya Day, you're, you're not going wrong. Those are two very good meals. No, that's a great pick. No, it's, it's amazing. It's really good. What's in the vision board for open store? Do you guys have a target of number of acquisitions of that shareable to, to do it this year? Or is there a specific, you know, thing, goal that you guys are trying to achieve this year? Our most recent goals was having uh, like one offer accepted a day. So um, really being able to like scale the number of brands that we're obviously giving offers to and then who like them and are accepting. But I, yeah, so obviously that, that one except today is very exciting and like obviously yields hundreds of businesses by the end of the year. 
That'll create, I, I bet it's so awesome, the stories you guys get from those founders after like thank you letters or, or just so success stories. And yeah, it's really cool talking to the founders. Like one of, like actually I believe Farm Foods, the first one I mentioned, the founder, she just mentioned like how, how, how easy it was and like how surprising like, like the processes or just like all the various founders we talked to, like they think it's gonna be this like really complex, hard process, but then it's like literally come to our website connect some various accounts like Shopify, Facebook, and Google, and then five minutes later you're done, and then a day later you have like your offer and you can close in a week. And people think it's gonna be this like huge, scary, long process, but it's actually just simple and done and off your to-do list. And is it US only right now? We're primarily focused on the US for now, um, but very quickly want to expand beyond that. And so if a founder, e-commerce founder is listening to this and they are very curious, they literally just go and open that store? Yeah, just go to open that store, share a little bit about your business, connect like your Shopify account, Facebook account, Google account, um, and get an offer. Uh, and one thing I mentioned too, like obviously not everyone's ready to sell right now, like it may not be a fit, but even if you aren't ready to sell, um, we recently like released this new product around Insights where we kind of just provide like some insights around how to grow your business um, so that even if you don't want to sell now, hopefully you still, we can still provide some value and like share some interesting information with you so you can grow it. And then maybe in the future when you're ready to sell, you can come back and you can literally come back like once a month if you want and like check out the latest value of your business. Sweet. Well, we're pumped to have you and you guys in Miami. Um, really cool stuff that you guys are up to. And I just love the ambition. Like this is, like this is a massive, massive undertaking. And like you were saying, if, if, the, if your goal even for this year is like bringing on one, you know, making one new acquisition a day, like that's a lot that you're bringing into your operating circle. That's a lot of entrepreneurs that you guys are sending back out in the world to create amazing new products. So I just love the ambition overall and, and what it's gonna take to pull it off. And it's super exciting that you guys are building it here in Miami and um, love having you on the pod. Yeah. yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, and so if there's one last thing, if there are people, where can people keep up with everything related to Open Store or you? Yeah, definitely um, go to our website, which is just open.store, and you can uh, like obviously get an offer there or just check out the latest value of your business. Obviously, all welcome to follow us on Twitter, which is join Open Store is our handle. Also, feel free to follow me. My name is just Matt Lanchon on Twitter. You can find me there. Awesome. Well, thank you, Matt. All right. Thanks, guys.